Okay, what's going on? Seriously, why is this happening? The Big 12 finally unveiled the 2023 football schedules for all 14 teams, but something is off. Yes, by the way, I said 14 teams because just in case you forgot, UCF, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati are all joining the conference officially this summer. But again, something is off about this schedule release. Before I explain what I mean, let's go over the Sooners 2023 schedule. OU opens 2023 with home games against Arkansas State and SMU before playing Tulsa on the road. Then Big 12 play begins with a road game on September 23rd at Cincinnati. That's one of two away games that I hope I can get to this fall. After the Bearcats, OU heads home to play Iowa State. Then we get the annual matchup with Texas in Dallas. Next up is the Sooners' open date on October the 14th, followed by a home game against Dylan Gabriel's former team, UCF. Back-to-back road games follow at Kansas, then Bedlam at OSU on November the 4th. Oklahoma pops home next to play West Virginia before hitting the road for a date in Provo with BYU. That's the second away game I hope I get to make in 2023. And finally, the regular season ends at home against TCU on Black Friday. Of course, we're going to have plenty of time to dissect Oklahoma's schedule. My early read is I'm just happy that it's different. So what exactly is off about this whole thing? Well, every single Big 12 school acknowledged the schedule release on Tuesday, except Oklahoma and Texas. Both schools didn't care to post anything related to the 2023 schedule to their respective websites. The 12 other Big 12 schools sure did. Okay, to be fair, both Oklahoma and Texas did give the Big 12 schedule a retweet on Twitter. But again, nothing for both schools on each respective website. To be clear, I'm, I'm not even really sure if I'm inferring anything here. I'm just curious as to why everybody else seems super excited about a schedule while the two teams who are leaving after this next season, reportedly, don't seem anywhere near as enthused as everybody else. Are Oklahoma and Texas just too cool for school? Or is there something happening behind the scenes that led OU and Texas to hold back on putting anything official about 2023 on their websites? I don't know. But let's be honest here. It's probably nothing, right? Hmm. Who knows? I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Hello and welcome into another edition of West of Everest. It's been a while, about a month or so, but we're back and we're fired up because we've got a college football schedule to talk about here on West of Everest. Lee Benson joining you as well as Grant Benson and we're going to be here with you for, well, who knows how long because we've got a ton of stuff to get to, including, and I hate to say this, I really do hate it because I'm starting the show mentioning something that's negative. But I'm a former professional journalist, and I like to call balls and strikes here. And so coming up in the show, just how bad was Brent Venables in 2022 compared to other first-year head coaches? Well, it was bad, and we've got the numbers to back it up. But it's not all bad in Sooner Nation because Venables and his staff has nailed recruiting so far. It's been terrific. A lot of talent's coming to Norman to hopefully help turn this ship around. Grant, what say you? Uh, you know, I mean, just like just in general, or well, like, what do you do? You want me to comment on what you just said, or I, I don't, 
I mean, hey, I, man, just I'm, I just I decided to just throw you the ball and do whatever you want with it. All right, you know, I was a little hot potato. You're up. There's a lot going on. A lot going on. I mean, we're all. Uh, I was all excited for the Big Twelve schedule release for I don't know about basically ever since they announced the the four new members were coming in, and then it came out and it was just like kind of ah man, I don't really know what I was so excited about. <laughs> it was pretty dull. So yeah, let's get your thoughts on that. So I talked about that in the opening take. Uh, and it's just unusual to me, and I know a lot of other people have pointed this out as well. It's unusual that on Oklahoma's official website and Texas' official website, there's nothing on there about the 2023 schedule. On social media, we got some retweets by each account, but every other school in the Big 12 is acknowledged on their websites, the 2023 schedule, but OU in Texas has not. I, I don't even know if I'm inferring any sort of uh shadiness it's just strange to me do you I, have any I don't, sort I don't of know if you're inferring picks? shadiness you're definitely suggesting a massive conspiracy theory if you're gonna take it that way then sure yeah let's go let's let's get weird uh, i really kind of wasn't but you know, yeah i, I, I don't I'm know just kinda, I'm, I'm just curious it's um sure i mean i'm sure it's an intentional decision both on the part of ou and texas I'd be honest with you. I, I have no appetite for it whatsoever. I don't. I don't want any pettiness. I think it's stupid. Like if you want to negotiate, you know, a 2024 exit and be quiet about it and everything, that's totally fine. Do that. Um, I don't. I, I hope none of this is like sour grapes or, or being petty or anything because that's just really lame. You're getting what you want. You're getting out of the conference. You're going to go into the big, uh, the big money conference that everyone wants to be in, and the Big Twelve is going to be relegated to a second class citizen. There's no. There's no need for pettiness at all. Any initial first thoughts about the schedule? I mean, obviously, the new teams, the new Big 12 teams, they stand out. I mentioned the trip to Cincinnati and the trip to Provo are, are obviously you know, two highlights as far as you know, unique, different road games. I'd like to try to go to both of those games. I'm not sure if I'll make it, be able to make it happen, but you know, we can talk about figure it out in the fall. Uh, but uh, aside from those two games, or maybe those two games are the ones that stood out to you, what did you think about the schedule? I think on paper, it's a, it's a really manageable schedule. I think expectations probably have to be held in check because when we look at a schedule like that, we're thinking, ah, you know, I mean, OU should be able to navigate that schedule pretty easily. But we don't, we just came off a six and seven season. We have no idea what OU is going to look like next year. Um, if we're being totally honest with ourselves, I have no clue. So, um, yeah, I, I think on paper, it's a, it's a very manageable schedule. They're getting three out of the four new, new members. And, and like, let's, let's be real about this right now. Those are three group of five teams that they have on their schedule. So they have six group of five teams on their schedule next season. Um, mm. uh, you know, that's, that's a fairly manageable schedule. Uh, they miss out on Kansas State, who I think is probably going to be picked to win the conference in the preseason. Uh, them or Texas will be in all likelihood, in my guess. Um, what about TCU? I, I don't think so, no. Okay. All right. just, just asking. Yeah, no, that's big. You know, missing out on Kansas State. Whew. Missing out on Kansas State, no Texas Tech, no Baylor. That was three losses in 2022. Yeah, so I, like, right. I, I think they're cool. I think they're missing they're missing two teams that I think you know are are very likely going to be in the top half of the conference in Kansas State and Texas Tech. I don't really know about Baylor yet. Uh, they sort of fell apart at the end of the season, and they really haven't done anything in the offseason that suggests that they're going to turn that around at all. Um. I, you know, it's it, it's a very manageable schedule, but it's like it's I, I still have the 2022 season too fresh in my mind to feel that confident about it. 
of course, the thing that excites me, I, I think the you could make the argument that their November is pretty tough, uh, especially kind of finishing at BYU on their senior night. And then six days later, you're playing TCU, the, the defending Big 12 champ. But I, I kind of have a feeling they're going to take a very big step back next year. Um, just, I mean, because they don't, all of their players that they counted on to win games, this year, they're they're all gone. Like, none of them are coming back. So um, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, it's an interesting schedule for for sure. I mean, it's a... It's a brutal, and by brutal, I mean it's it's just a boring, it's a brutal home schedule. It, it, that's the worst home schedule I've seen, like, probably ever. I mean, what is it? Arkansas State, SMU, Iowa State, TCU. Hey man, UCF's coming to town. UCF, and who else? West Virginia. Yeah, it's a really bad home slate. Uh, TCU is clearly the biggest one there. Maybe UCF, people will kind of get excited about that one, but I think I don't think any of us would be surprised if UCF is not that great next year. So it's it's a fun. I mean, I I think, but the the road trips to Cincinnati and BYU are undoubtedly fun. Those are those are fun. Those are new things that they could do experience. And uh, Cincinnati will be interesting. I think Cincinnati's probably I think is probably going to be the worst team in the Big Twelve next year. Would be my would be my pick. Um, but other than that, I mm. think it's it's going to be it's it's kind of a lot of unknown. Yeah, like I said, the start and the opening take it's. It's nice that it's different. And yeah, I hadn't even really honed in yet on the home matchups and you bring them all up and yeah, that's uh oof. Uh you're right. That's nothing that exciting. Uh, it's you know, a number late it's, in the year. It's it's yeah. a perfect example, perfect uh, of why they're leaving the Big 12. It's yeah. cuz there's really nothing you can do about. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. The the, the other big time program in, in in the conference you play in the in, you know, at the State Fair of Texas every single year. Other than that, you know, what's what's going to be the big kind of eye draw there? Is it Kansas State? And they're not even playing. I yeah. get on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, if UCF wasn't there, I mean, the who would they have on the uh, Texas Tech? I mean, that that's not an exciting home game. So, I mean, either way, I think it was going to be kind of, eh, not great to, you know, with the, the non-conference being, should be, uh, I mean, I'm not sure how good Arkansas State is these days. I know sometimes they're, actually not bad uh and also smu i mean we'll see uh, about smu them. is going to be tricky that's that's the one that i'm kind of looking at like ah we're gonna i think we're gonna probably find out a lot about them early on i think tanner mordecai is going to be disappointed he's not there for that one he might i mean he knew that he knew that oh you was playing smu this year i mean that's been on the that's been on the docket for a couple of years actually no i mean i guess they they just replaced that game yeah this i guess fall. it was because that georgia. was the georgia spot oh man i'm so glad that georgia's not on the schedule yeah, that would be um, that would not be fun to watch how that would play out. Or you know, at least maybe the first half would be okay because yeah, in the, f- the first half, you know, first half of the games, o- OU was actually pretty prepared. Just after yeah, I, you know, the the big great. the the quote unquote trap game on there, the one that maybe a lot of people are going to think of is at Kansas. I mean, that's that's kind of the obvious one, I think, where it's uh, like, hey, they've are- never, they have not, you know, they've never. A lot of people they have not lost to Kansas in conference play really within living memory, and I think we all kind of assume this is going to be their last year in this conference. And I, you know, I don't think it would surprise anyone if that'd be a perfect way to a perfect send off. Losing, yeah, perfect, and it would be the perfect send off for Brent Venables. I think he'd be done. That that I mean, that first time Oklahoma's been below five hundred since Bob Stoops got here. So it's been you know a generation since. I mean, I say this because Kansas is probably not going to be terrible next year. Their right. offense no, is probably I mean, going to be they're, really, they're really, really good. Their defense is probably still going to be an absolute dumpster fire. 
Yeah, I so I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not it's not the the old time Kansas, so uh but still, you know, it, between OU and Kansas, it's a game that the Sooners should win, but uh very interesting, very interesting. And I, again, I I don't know when OU and Texas are going to update their schedules on their websites, but uh, you better believe every single day, you know, 15 minute increments, I'll be checking. But oh, just check. Nope, still nothing. I'll let you guys know here in about 15. No. I think a lot uh, of people yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of people trying to say that uh, maybe this is evidence they're still trying to get out of the Big 12 to get into the SEC next year. And all I got to say is, man, I hope not. Really hope not. Yeah, that's just, I don't, that doesn't make sense. It makes only, sense. It only for, does from a dollars and cents yeah. perspective. Sure, sure. It, I mean, it, everything that we've learned over the last couple of years, it all, and there's been reports that it's, you know, this is the last year they're going to move over there next season. It just, it makes sense to do it in 2024. A year early, just with how the way everything is setting up. It's gonna. I think that's the first year that they, they expanded playoff. Right? It just yeah. Okay, so I mean we have a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. But like, which direction are we gonna go? Here's the thing, I have a solution to that problem, Grant. I got a sack here with at least seventy-two different topics in it. I'm gonna reach in, I'm gonna pick a topic out, and we're gonna go with it. Here we go. All right, this is definitely isn't a podcast bit. Nope, got my uh, little note card here. Oh, okay, here we go. Interesting transfer portal news. David Oguebu transferring to Houston, and he's going to play defensive end. That happened since our last podcast, Grant. David Oguebu, the much maligned David Oguebu, a guy that played a ton of snaps at Oklahoma over the last few seasons. Transfer portal, and now the linebacker room is basically Danny Stutzman, Jaron Kanick and a bunch of young guys. Interesting. We saw that news come up and we both thought, hmm, okay. Well, whose decision was this? Something tells me it was OU probably saying, all right, David, if, if you can make, you know, maybe, maybe best to, to move on. What do you think? I think that's kind of seems like what the writing is on the wall. Um, it could have been anything. I think others had, had kind of speculated this as well. Maybe he went to the coaching staff and said, hey, I want to play edge, I want to play defensive end, and they said, nah. Um, I, I, That's I possible, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, this is actually a pretty, I think a, if you want to point to some, uh, some shimmering light, this is a positive right here. Because if, if you want to look at it that maybe David Aguebu got processed, uh, I think that's probably a good thing. And hey, I... I appreciate David Igwebu for everything that he's kind of done for the program. The last coaching staff absolutely screwed him over, switching him to middle linebacker. Um, he was really bad in that position. Really, really bad. Uh, he, he was not an asset to the team at that position really at all. I think it was pretty obvious that they, they kind of stuck with him this year because of, ex, of, of his experience, just kind of maybe trying to gut it through one year. And the way that I, look, I, I like to look at it is they saw one year of David Igwebu thanked him for his service and said, uh, you know, maybe it's time to move on. Um, and that's, to me, that's, you know, that's a positive just because it's evidence that maybe they're, they're thinking in the right direction. Yeah, it's certainly, it's, it's a guy that from the spring, Brent Venables could not say enough good things about. And obviously during that time, spring, going into fall, through the summer, into the fall, we were thought, okay, you know, here we go. We got Brent Venables coming on here. He's a an elite defensive mind, great linebackers coach, you know, yeah, it's not a whole lot of time, but in my mind, it's like, yeah, you know, great tutelage. People can turn around relatively quick. I mean, they thought, okay, maybe we'll see a, an upgrade, you know, bounce back uh, or 
some sort of a, a change. And it just, I mean, all of the talks around August fall camp about how David Aguebu had gotten faster, lost weight. I mean, I maybe that was true at first for a bit. I don't know because he looked exactly the same for the most part. The guy is uh, just too slow. He's too slow. Can't move side to side. Uh, and it's they suck with him out of seniority, veteran leadership, and I'm I'm I have no doubt that's why. I, I am curious though, Grant. Like, yes, he he's a veteran player. I don't know. Maybe he picked up the defense better than everybody else. But it's like I'd like to know if Kip Lewis or Kobe McKenzie or heck, I mean, we saw Jaron Canick a little bit. If any of those guys could have come in just to get some snaps to see what they had. Or if it was just straight up, nope, we're stubborn. We're not going to do that because this guy is a, a veteran player and these young players are just going to sit here and watch. And that's just what we're going to do this year. We're not even going to risk uh, potentially playing them too many snaps to burn a red shirt. Uh, it's just they went six and seven. It would have been nice to see more than just Jaron Canick here and there is all I'm saying. Do you have any thoughts like that or is that just me? I mean, whenever that happens, I always just assume whatever is behind him is a lot worse. Yes, yes, that's fair. The reason why I question that a little bit is whenever you see Gavin Sawchuk in the bowl game. <laughs> it's like that's I mean, okay. that's fair. That's fair. I mean, we talked about that. It's like, yeah, why is why is very obviously the most gifted running back on the roster getting his first carry in the bowl game? So we they had an incredible veteran player at running back in Eric Gray, obviously. They had I mean, Marcus Major is a veteran player that was injured a lot. Uh, but then they had a true freshman in Javante Barnes, just like Gavin Sachuk. So uh, Javante Barnes did get there in the spring, though. Sachuk didn't get there until June. And that's and that, you, that probably yep. had a lot to do with it. I can't remember. Um, I can't remember kind of what Kip Lewis or Kobe McKenzie got in. Kobe McKenzie got a You got to remember, though, Kobe McKenzie came in. He's the same size as David Igwebu. Kobe, Kobe, like I, Kobe sure. McKenzie, wasn't going to be ready to play. Right? He's a he's kind I of a big memories. thumping guy as well. Too. It was Kip Lewis was the guy who got. Yeah, he played a little bit against Texas. Um, and I was Shane Witter got hurt early on in the year, and he was out yep. for the year. Yeah. Um, and after that, there was just no one. I mean, they had Jaron Canick, but you know, Canick got some run a little bit in the Baylor game, and he looked lost out there. I mean, it was it's obvious that they just whoever the people behind him just were not ready to play, and that goes to show you that the depth that we talked about. Hey, I was guilty of this too. I came on here in the preseason, and I said. Look at all. I mean, look at this. Look at this blue chip ratio. I mean, this is like they had like the fourth most talented roster in college football by blue chip ratio. That clearly was a sham. <laughs> Obviously. Well, and also TD Roof. TD Roof's injury ended up being massive. Yeah, but the, I don't massive. think he played. That's not the that's that's not the position he played though. And so yeah, well, I mean, it was next, just have another body. I mean, yeah, but it was. I mean, it's disappointing. And you know, Deshaun White, he 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 made the successful you know transition to Cheetah. He was good. Deshaun White had a good season. I mm -hmm. just I'm Deshaun White. I think very obviously would have been a better option than David Igwebu at that position. Even if even if you you didn't feel like he had anyone who could play Cheetah competently, it was just Igwebu killed them over. And over and over again, I can see you know his value a little bit if, if if a team wants to stay rigid and wants wants to stay in the box the entire time. But every single time a team spread him out and forced him to move in space and, and make a tackle in close space really quickly, he failed every single time. Didn't happen one. I didn't see him run one guy down. <laughs> well, because 
I, I mean, if he ran a guy down, that guy would in- instantly be cut by his, <laughs> his team. I mean, but, it seemed like offensive linemen were were lapping him out there sometimes. But yeah, and I'm, I'm just like I'm yeah. upset. I'm upset at the last coaching staff. The last the the last defensive coaching staff clearly has has no idea what they're doing on defense. And we no, can point to no. we, yeah, like we, we we can point to to Southern California as as more evidence of that. Um, I have no idea why he was why he was converted to a middle linebacker after he looks competent and pretty promising as an edge guy his true freshman season. I've I've seen some people speculate that it was because they didn't feel like they'd be able to get him and Nick Benito on the field at the same time, or because they didn't feel like he'd get enough snaps with Nick Benito there. And man, I hope to God that's not true. That's that's terrible, awful. That's, that's team, really a, stupid. Like Nick Benito played like sixty percent of the snaps anyway. Yeah, like they there's tons of yeah. You're exactly right. I mean, people complain all the time about how certain players like Benito were not on the field as much you know as much as they should be. Uh, you're right. I mean, David Oguebu. I, I had a chance to talk to him a decent amount of times during my time covering OU, and really nice kid. I mean, a lot of these guys are really good guys, nice guys. They really care about it. And you're right. I agree. Uh, he was put in a bad spot, and you know maybe maybe it was him. Maybe he was like, you know what, I got a year left. I want to go see if I can play a different position. Like I, I'm I've never been a linebacker. I, yeah, my heart's not in it. Uh, I'm gonna go try this out, and you know what, best of luck to him. I, it just it never made any sense. And I'm, maybe we could go back to our old podcast whenever they made the position change. I'm sure you and I, I'm sure we were probably very positive about things because we were you know, wanting everything to be okay with Alex Grinch and company. But I'm sure there was probably some. Aguayo was pretty like, hmm. decent in the COVID year there. Yes, yeah. In fact, no, he, he was, was good. And that's, he made plays. He was the last two years though. Then he he's, well, 2021 he disappeared, and then obviously he played a ton of snaps this year and was mostly ineffective. Uh, the big thing that I come back to, and I probably said this at the time years ago, it never I never understood the idea of playing him at linebacker in speed D. The guy does not have any speed. What, I don't understand why this guy is going to be playing a position where he's uh, tasked with running around. He's never been fast. He's always been a plotter, big moving guy. And that's that's was always from the first time I ever saw that guy. It was like he's a big dude, but he can't move. And I mean, there's old podcasts where we talk about. It. I think you might have been like, "Oh, you're you're being too hard on him." It's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> the guy can't move. And he just he was probably put in a bad spot. Not probably he was, and it just. He tried to play through it, and I, I guess this current coaching staff, maybe their hands were tied because he's a veteran player and they had nothing else they could do, but they stuck with him, and now he's gone. So, and I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be rooting like crazy for him to have a good season at Houston. He deserves it. He and he, and if he does, if he's got a good, if he has a good season playing defensive end, playing edge, then I don't know, oh. man. I, I'm not like, but OU fans should should send a, a bag of, of dog poop to Lincoln Riley's doorstep and set it on fire. <laughs> I'm sure that's not happened at all yet. Uh, so let's just real quickly t- take a look at the linebacker room right now, tentatively for 2023. Mentioned a couple of these guys already. Obviously, Kanick and Stutzman are kind of the two main ones. Then you got Lewis and McKenzie, who we haven't really seen play much at all. Can they make any sort of a jump? And also, uh, you mentioned Shane Witter. He was injured m- about midway through the year, I think in early to mid-October. Can Shane Witter get healthy and become a thing? Because uh, he, I don't even know if he was really part of the plan when he was healthy this year. Uh, he wasn't really playing a whole lot. And then outside of that, you got all these true freshmen. And maybe I've, I'm missing one or two, but I'm just kind of going off of 
the uh, two four seven recruiting class. You got is it uh, is it Phil? Is it is it Pichotti or Pichotti? Do you know how to pronounce his last name? I think it's Pichotti. Pichotti. It's uh, Philly P. We're gonna call him Philly P here. Coin that, that guy's huge. That guy's really big. He's that like he's like the size of a Guaybu right now. Is he okay? Interesting. So he's a true freshman coming in. Samuel Omashigo or or Omasigo, Omasigo. I don't know. Another he one. Had I, it for, I, I, I think he had it right the first time. And also Lewis Carter, who you're in love with, and then just today officially Taylor Heim, a local product, uh, is coming on in this recruiting class. So that's you know, the linebacking room is still very thin <laughs> and who knows what's going to happen with td roof i guess i guess in theory i i don't know i mean i guess he could i mean he's probably on the roster technically i don't know we'll see about him if he's able to recover from honestly i can't even remember what his injury is was it an upper body like a shoulder i thought it was achilles what, but was it I, achilles? okay i'll have to look that up yeah so who I'm, knows? I'm, I'm not sure they may they may not have been super uh truthful is not the right word they, they just may not have said a lot of information about it yeah i can't remember what it what it was oh biceps, biceps oh yeah injury. he tore his bicep i think that's a pretty serious injury yeah that's no good so anyway i just wanted to kind of go through the, the linebacker list kind of get the idea it's brevitables and old ted roof have their work cut out for them i think uh, um you know linebackers you know i we you hope that danny stutzman can kind of bottle you know what he looked like in the Cheez It Bowl. I thought he played a really good game in the Cheez It Bowl. He was probably their best defensive player in the Cheez It Bowl. You hope that maybe after, and he's only been on campus for two years. This is his first year as a full time starter. He probably, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he played the most defensive snaps of any player in all of college football this year. It wouldn't surprise me. Hmm. Things that I'm pretty sure OU's defense defended the most snaps in the country. <laughs> yeah, and he like never point. left the field. I mean, him and Aguebu. I mean, him and Aguebu. So you hope. Yeah. You hope that maybe uh, you know a full off season, maybe he can take a leap, and then uh, I think we're all kind of I think everyone right now is penciling in Jaron Canick there, and hey, we we saw kind of the physical prowess of Jaron Canick, uh, but then against Baylor, it just looked like he it was everything was just moving a little too fast for him. He he got confused, uh, was out of his gap a lot in that game. He didn't play a whole lot, but uh, we know how fast he is. We know that he can close you know he can close space really quickly. We'll see. We'll see if he's ready to come in and play, but. You're right. I mean, it's a big question mark. It's it's a position that I'm really surprised they didn't they didn't get anybody from the transfer portal there. Um, maybe there's still going to be another opening there in the spring. I have no idea. But yeah, it'd be nice if they had a little bit more experience there, especially right there in the middle. I don't know if they can if 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 Danny is is okay to take over that spot from Aguebu and they can slide in Canick or Witter or or maybe Kip Lewis or it's gonna be, or maybe I mean even Desan McCullough maybe. I don't know. That it wouldn't surprise me if he's a guy because like that's. I think everybody assumes that he's going to be the cheetah, but I have no idea what position that guy's going to play. All right, let me go back to my grab sack full of topics here on the show. Hold on. Totally up on the up and up here. This is definitely a real card I'm looking at. And oh, more transfer portal news, Grant. Big time news in special teams. Oklahoma adds a punter. From Central Michigan, Luke Elzinga. Oh, Michael Turk out the door. Oklahoma needed a new punter. Here we go. Uh, well, I'm not sure how much we need to spend time on that, but no that happened since Sounds our last great. show. Hope he's, hope he's good. No notes. All right, let me go back into the sack. Maybe I can find a little a topic with a little more meat on its bones. Oh, 
This is great timing here. Okay, wow. Okay, we're going to go to the rumor mill for this next topic. Apparently, since our last episode in the last couple of weeks, offensive coordinator Jeff Lebby has been rumored as a possible candidate for the open offensive coordinator position at Alabama. Now, have they filled that spot since since uh, Bill O'Brien left, or is that still open? Still open. Oh, interesting. So Nick Saban allegedly interested in Jeff Lebby? I, you know, Grant, I was, I was actually really surprised when I, I saw those reports or rumors, whatever you want to call them, because uh, I, I mean, yeah, we've said a lot of critical things about Lebby over the last three months, just about his offense, but is it a good sign that a guy like Nick Saban's interested? Sure. Like for, if Oklahoma I mean, sure, can Yeah. I, right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah, I, I think Lebby draws up some really nice plays. He called a really good game in the, in the cheese it bowl. His tempo is stupid. So it's that's dumb. the thing, right? I mean, it's dumb. It doesn't work. No, I agree. I agree. So uh, hypothetically, I, I, is there a chance he actually goes to Alabama? There's, there's no way he would leave after a year, right? I, I mean, mean, there's enough smoke where I, I guess there's a chance. It, just, I mean, it depends on how much money they would. I mean, that's what it would have to be. It, it'd be a money thing, right? That, that's the only thing that would get him to. But yeah, this is I mean, you also I mean, this is a new thing. I mean, it, it sounded like they, they'd moved on and they were going to try to go after Washington's O.C., and he just announced yesterday that he's staying put. He's not gonna. He's not gonna go. Hmm. And so I, I have to think at this point in time, it's a nobody wants to work for Saban thing. Oh, except for Cliff Kingsbury, even though they can't get a hold of him because he's in Thailand. He's in Thailand. I saw a, uh, saw some like Instagram post with him and like the girl that he's with. I don't know if it's his girlfriend, his fiance, his whatever. But she's, she's a she's a very beautiful woman. Could be and, a sister. Uh, it looked. It just. It looked like they were having a really good time in Thailand. Uh. And I, I'm I'm one of those guys who says Cliff Kingsbury would be a freaking moron to give any of that up to go and have to go, to go and have to recruit college kids. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, maybe, what a maybe. just a the dude has enough money to probably live comfortably the rest of his life. He seems like a type of guy who maybe would internalize that and would realize that, and wouldn't just immediately hop into a situation where he's now he has to work 14 hours a day. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. So let's let's steer the the boat back over though. To <laughs> even though I yeah I, I'm very much aware of what you're talking about. And uh, congratulations to Cliff Kingsbury, um, from what I can uh, tell from what's been reported to me. So okay, hypothetically, let's say Jeff Lebby gets offered you know way too much money and he can't say no and he goes and he becomes Alabama's offensive coordinator to work for Nick Saban. Nick Saban, a hundred percent gets Lebby to tweak his tempo, right? There's no way that Nick Saban's yes. like... No, there's okay. no way that he would allow... Right? There's no way that yeah. Nick Saban would allow his defense to, you know, to be on the field as much as OU's defense was this year. No exactly. way, no right. way that would ever happen. Okay, so the reason I bring that up is if we think that Nick Saban would require that under Jeff Lebby, is Brent Venables going to do that? Is he going to make some sort of stance, put his foot down? before 2023 this year with Jeff Levy? Are we going to run it back with the same style? Because I mean, if Nick Saban like would probably so. do it, uh, I'd, I'd like Venable to think he also. would, but no, I, mean, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that right now. If, I mean, I'm sure they're going to do the exact same thing. Yeah, and that's what I'm afraid of. Because I think you're probably right. <laughs> I mean, there was just no evidence, as you mentioned a, a moment ago. Yeah, there's just there was very little evidence of any sort of changes or adjustments or on the fly, which was very disappointing to me when it came to Brent Venables because I thought that was going to be one of his 
his biggest strengths. Because he talked about it all the time when he was hired in the spring, into the summer, into the fall about how he just loved to sit down and watch the tape and figure out ways to exploit the opposing team, see their weaknesses and you know, game to game. And it's like, no, nah, that apparently you just you have your stuff and you run it like a lot of coaches say. And that's kind of what I saw with Oklahoma for the most part. And yeah, it works a lot of the time for a lot of teams, but sometimes you got to be willing to make adjustments and be flexible. And I just didn't see a whole lot of that, if any, in year one with Brent Venables. So certainly very interesting. All right, should I go back to the sack here? Hold on. Reaching in, okay. Well, there's been a lot of transfer portal news, and that's most of the cards in this and completely real sack of note cards I have here for sure. And, oh, this actually has a lot of names on it here, this card. We're going to go uh, with guys who have transferred to different teams since our last episode. They had already been in the portal. So, Grant, Joshua Eaton, he's off to Texas State. Josh Ellison announces his transfer to Memphis. Clayton Smith, the guy that we were both just stumped that wasn't able to figure it out. Clayton Smith, former five-star, to Arizona State. And Jackson Sumlin goes to FAU. So those are four players that had previously been in the portal that are now uh, officially on different teams or transferred out to different teams. And the main one for, for me, and we texted when this happened, was you see Joshua Eaton, a guy that I liked a lot. I liked the size, blue chip recruit. He's going to Texas State. Uh, David Agwebu, blue chip recruit. He's going to Houston. You know, group of five type teams. And playing a different position. It, yeah, I mean, Houston's position. in the Big 12 now, but yeah, I mean, they're yeah, they're they're, they're a group of five right now. But it's like, man, I, it's just disappointing to see. I mean, Josh Ellison, nice guy, nice player. I guess he'll get he'll get more snaps at Memphis. So I mean, that's that's not. But he couldn't go to a, a, a like I don't know, like a Power Five school and get a bunch of more snaps. I, I, I don't know, maybe I, I'm not really sure where he's from. Maybe he's close to Memphis or so. I'm pretty sure but he's from Texas. Um, I know he went. To, I think he went to Blinn Junior College at some point. So that would make sense that he went to Texas, or he's from Texas. But yeah, I mean, it's that. So the talent, I don't know, man. It maybe just wasn't there. It years. clearly and, wasn't. I mean, this is my big thing now, because, and I have to, you know, I I, I have to I, I got to keep myself accountable here because I was I was one of those guys who was like, hey, I, I figured maybe there was some unlocked talent here uh, that Brent Venables and his staff could with a different set of eyes. And you see it now, all of these dudes, all of these blue chip recruits, all of these four-star guys that the previous staff recruited, um, as they go into the transfer portal, there's just nothing there. Nothing. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge, I mean, it is a huge, it says a lot about the previous staff. And I, I mean, they, they do not know how to identify talent on, on the defensive side of the ball at all. I'm trying to think of the best defensive players under, on, you know, in his regime, Nick Benito, Isaiah Thomas, those, guys, those were Mike Stoops recruits. Yeah, maybe maybe Asamoa was it was a Mike Stoops guy. Was he? Yeah. yeah. Maybe Woody. I think he was a was he a Grinch guy. I don't know, but I mean, Woody is just but, I mean, okay. He's, he's fine. But he's still on the team. He's still on the roster. And by the way, uh, I, Woody Washington's coming back. He's returning. Uh, that was announced. Since our last podcast, so I mean, like you know, Perry and Winfrey was good, but he also, at no point in time, they they never got you know everything out of him or as much out of him as he as he could have. 
I mean, like as of right now, like their best evaluation and offer is Isaiah Coe. Yeah. Another guy that announced he's coming back, right? So that's positive. Billy, uh, I mean, they got Billy no, Bowman, I suppose. Billy Bowman, yeah. He has... But he looked terrible under half, the last regime. He has a half good year under his belt now, but I guess injuries uh, hurt him. So, yeah, anyways, all right. Maybe one more time back to the topic sack. <laughs> surprise, surprise. More transfer portal news and... Well, this is a lot of other names here. And these are players that Oklahoma have added since our last podcast. We mentioned the punter, Luke Elzinga. Offensive lineman, I'm going to guess it's pronounced, it's Caleb Schaefer probably from uh, Miami of Ohio. Veteran player. Uh, guy that you like a lot, Grant. Defensive lineman, Rondell Bothroyd from Wake Forest. Defensive tackle, Devon Sears from Texas State. A wide receiver from Michigan, Andrell Anthony Jr., uh, I know this is a lot of, I know the message boards, the message boards lit up about Walter, is it Rouse, Roos from Stanford? It's Rouse. Veteran player, a tackle from Stanford, and then a, uh, no offense to this guy, but a throwaway tight end from Texas A&M, Blake Smith. Sorry, Blake. Uh, oh, yeah, he's, so he's going to be a walk-on, so he's, no offense, but yeah, he's, oh. he's nobody. Oh, is he? Oh, okay. So uh, those are the guys they've added uh, since our last show, and that adds to the other players they've added, which you put on the rundown here. Uh, Desan McCullough, Reggie Pearson, Trace Ford, Jacob Lacey, and, of course, Austin Stogner. But out of the new players, Grant, since our last episode, uh, who are you? I, I, I guess I guess I said it. You're, uh, Bothroyd's the one that you're pretty excited about, or at least you're interested in. Yeah, you know, I mean, Bothroyd and, and Walter Rouse are, are, are going to start right away. Uh, Walter Rouse is, is, is going to be the left tackle, the starting, the starting left tackle against Arkansas State uh, in game one next year. Uh, he is he's gonna be pretty much out all spring with an injury, I'm pretty sure, so that is not great. But uh they otherwise we're gonna have to probably roll with with Aaron Parks at that position because uh Jacob Sexton, I think we've never gotten confirmation on this, but I think we all assume that he tore his ACL, like the third play in the Cheez It Bowl. Uh so I'm sure he's not gonna be a hundred percent probably until, you know, deep into next season. Uh so that Walter Rouse pickup is is a is a really big deal. Um, I'm sorry, I know we're supposed to talk about Rondell uh, Bothroyd here, but uh, I actually think Bothroyd is probably their their biggest addition in the portal so far. And I think a lot of people would say that's Desan McCullough. Um, I think we very much need to pump the brakes on him big time, uh, especially if he's going to be Cheetah because he's going to be playing a position he's never played before. Um, and he he wasn't necessarily like super, super stud at Indiana last year anyway. Um but Bothroyd is a guy who is is a guy who has real actual production in a Power Five conference. Lee Rondell Bothroyd is one of the top ten highest graded defensive linemen in college football over the last two years per Pro Football Focus. Man, I was really hoping that you wouldn't end that with per Pro Football Focus, which you did, because Pro Football Focus college is garbage. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, but a lot of the times when you're talking about like a defensive lineman, you're you means it means he's getting pressures and he's and he's taking people down behind the line of scrimmage, which this guy has done. I think he's got he's got like 14 career sacks or something like that. Well, it's certainly better than him not being in the top ten. I'm just more of a, I'll take that with a, a bit of a grain of salt. It's a large upgrade at this point in time. What we know so far over you know Reggie Grimes, really really big up, oh, upgrade. Man. Oh, how, how dare you? How 
dare you. Reggie Grimes is a really great dude. Really great. I, he's probably the best interview on the team. Man, I, he's just, I put him on a milk carton. Uh, and I mean, also, I mean, who knows that? Uh, I mean, it's probably more for depth. But that other lineman they got from Miami of Ohio, that guy's played a ton of snaps, a ton of. So he's a he's an offensive. Maybe lineman. he's like the new. What's that? Talk about Schaefer. He's an offensive lineman. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, sorry, I was changing changing back to offensive line. Uh, he's like the new version of like Robert Condrill. You know, like that guy come in. He can probably play a lot of different positions. Will be depth. Might be able to slide him in there. A guy that played that you know that many snaps uh, in college, they're going to probably try to find a way to use him at some point, unless he just gets beat out by other guys that are more talented, which you certainly kind of hope that happens. All right, let's see. You know what? Actually, I'm going to go back to the sack. We actually uh, have a lot no, more I mean, topics we, let's, in here. Let's keep talking about this. We can't do that. Let's. There's much more. Interesting whoa, whoa, what, things else to to go. what else is there to talk about? We're just skipping over Andrell Anthony. Well, I mean, I he was like a three-star guy that didn't seem to do a whole lot at Michigan, so I was kind of like, yeah. I mean, every, I mean, yeah, and I just a lot of people are excited about him, though. I have pretty much zero expectations for him, but oh, but I didn't know people were excited about him. Yeah, okay. lot, yes, a lot of people are excited about him. Really? Yeah. I mean, didn't he have only like like four hundred total yards in two or three years at Michigan? Or yeah, something? no, he's he is not. He he's had essentially one good game in his career at Michigan. He did catch a touchdown pass against Georgia last year in the Orange Bowl. Um, but yeah, I mean, he had like a, he had a monster game on the road against Michigan state in 2021. He like 200 yards and three touchdowns, a couple of them really long ones. I don't know. I mean, we'll see, I guess, you know, with a guy like him, you just hope that he's kind of like, who's the guy, uh, that Alabama got from Ohio state, Jamison. Yeah. Jamison Williams, who is, who did absolutely nothing at Ohio state and then was randomly the best wide receiver in college football (laughs) when he transferred to Alabama. I didn't know he transferred uh, from Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, and so that's kind of what you're, I guess, you know, maybe. Maybe they'll catch lightning a bottle here with Andrew Anthony. I think it's importantly because I think going into next season, outside of their defensive line right now, the wide receiver room is a huge question mark. Their wide receivers, as of right now on paper, are not good. Yeah, it's, you know, you, you see, um, I guess why I'm kind of like, eh. Like you're not, I mean, you you have no expectations either. Neither do I. But it's like, okay, you know, who else they got? Who was like a three or maybe even a four star out of high school guy last year? They ended up not doing anything. Remember JJ Hester from Missouri? He was another guy that he was hurt. Big size. He was hurt all year. Yeah, he was hurt all year. Oh, okay. Well, then what about? Uh, I mean, I guess they were really trying their best. I mean, LV to get Bunkley Shelton. LV Bunkley, Bunkley Shelton would have been yeah. OU's leading receiver in 2021. And he didn't do it. He catch like three passes this year. Uh, yeah, and they try to shoehorn it, shoehorn him in randomly at certain times. Uh, God, what was I gonna? Oh, <laughs> I mean that's great for Mr. Anthony Jr. His big game against Michigan State you brought up, but uh, that's like putting up a, a big game against a Pop Warner team because if memory serves, that Michigan State pass defense was like the worst in college football that year and one of the worst of all time. That's Mel Tucker. What do you what do you expect? He's he's great at putting together terrible defenses, especially terrible pass defenses. Uh, but yeah, I mean that'd be great if he's something, uh, especially with Mims gone. By the way, Mims announcing he was leaving also happened during our uh, sabbatical from the podcast. So Marvin Mims is is out the door, and so you're you're banking on Jalil Farouk making another jump. You're hoping that uh, man. Who am I missing here? You got you got you know Drake Jake Gibson. 
It's Drake's. I mean, right now it's Jalil Farouk and, and Drake Stoops. That's that is who is essentially that they can count on right now. And hey, I I like Jalil Farouk. He's I he's not a number one. He just isn't. Um, I I think he's pretty good with the ball in his hands. But if you have to count on him to make plays, it's not going to happen. Um, and the best thing I can say about Drake Stoops is I I wish Baker Mayfield could have thrown to him. I, I he's just you're not you're not going to get the best out of Drake Stoops when it's Dylan Gabriel. Yeah, no, I, it's it's kind of similar to, well, I was going to say the linebackers, but I suppose Canick's there and Stutzman's there, so they're going to get most of the playing time you would anticipate. You know, with McKenzie and Lewis, you got these two freshmen that are going to be going to their second year, and you hope, man, it'd be nice if these guys can take a jump and be something. Well, it's the same kind of idea with the receivers with Jaden Gibson and Nick Anderson. I love their size. Both guys didn't play really much at all I mean they tried to get Jaden Gibson going kind of at the start of the year but then nothing it would be great if they took steps and they were something I mean these are these are big time recruits and I think I like Nick Anderson more than you did coming out uh, I mean his high school tape to me was him just catching a bunch of touchdowns and I know a lot of people like him I think he got good reviews he was injured you know he's injured parts of the year but uh, it's this, there's nothing really to get excited about. You just got to hope. And a lot of, you know, every year everyone's like, oh, hope, 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 hope. And that's all this is. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, with Mims gone, I mean, the wide receiver room is, yeah, Big question mark. It's, it's very meh right now. Um, and, I, and I still think this is probably something that they're going to be looking to add from the portal at wide receiver still, I think. Um, they wouldn't even have Andrew Anthony right now if they wouldn't have struck out on some of their, their top targets at wide receiver in the portal. I know the guy, I think, you know, Trey Harris from La Tech, they all but thought that he was coming, and then Ole Miss comes in and drops the bag, and he commits there instead. So I, I, think, I think they're aware that they need more difference makers at wide receiver. And, you know, with Emmett Jones coming over from Texas Tech, I think a lot of people maybe thought it was a possibility that, that Jaron Bradley would maybe hop in the portal and follow him with. Maybe that's still a possibility after spring. And, I mean, that's what I'm hoping right now. They, they need someone else in there. And they weren't able to get any of the the big time players. Like, didn't you know? Didn't both Kent State receivers go into the portal and hoping to maybe get one of those guys? That both guys are probably playing the NFL. And I'm yeah, guessing Cephas was going to Penn State. Penn State, okay. I want to say, didn't like a UTEP guy that was actually pretty good go into the portal yep. too? Texas A and M, he's going. Okay, well. Gosh, how do you? I mean, you play against them, and you still you can't get any of these guys. That's yeah. I'm I'm just they didn't you know. Hey, I'm I, I think they've done a pretty good job in the portal, especially along the defensive line. You know, just you know, in terms of getting more bodies in there that can help you. Man, they they need more. They need more receivers, big time. All right, can I go to my sack now, or do you want to talk more about these guys? Yeah, Lee, please go to your sack. <laughs> all right go ahead and just fondle yep here we go all right pulling in oh and more news and notes and oh speaking of the wide receivers Ladamian washington he is out the door to western kentucky and oklahoma brings in a new wide receivers coach texas tech wide receiver coach emmett jones so that also happened since our last episode and this is something where i can't say i have Many thoughts on Emmett Jones. Uh, clearly, they didn't. I know they wanted. Uh, there was reports that they wanted. Uh, oh, you wanted Ladamian Washington to still be on staff somewhere, but uh, uh, clearly didn't feel like he was the guy to ha you know take over that position full time. 
They go to Emmett Jones. I, you know, I don't know what kind of. It's one of those things where it doesn't really move the needle for me at all. It's clearly Brent Venables and thinks that this is a better option than LaDamian Washington. Okay, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I. That's all about. That's about all I have on that. Do you, do you have any other like? Do, what are your thoughts on Emmett Jones uh, entering and LaDamian Washington exiting? Now, Emmett Jones has a has a really good reputation in the Dallas area and and in terms and, and also Texas high school football coaches. And that's that was the main reason why they probably needed to move on from LaDamian Washington. You, you got to get you got to get big time recruits in. All about recruiting. There you it's go. All, that's okay. what it's well, all like about. That. So Emmett Jones is the guy who's going to do that. And I, you know, I don't know a ton about him. I'm not going to pretend like I know a ton about him other than what other people have said. I do know that everyone was kind of gushing all over uh, Joey McGuire's staff when he first came into Texas Tech, Emmett Jones included. Um, and I also know that I, you know, I mean, Texas really wanted him because their their receiver coach Brennan Mary and I, he went to go be offensive coordinator somewhere. I I can't remember where. Uh, and so I think OU maybe kind of won a heads up battle with uh, with Texas for Emmett Jones. So I know he's got a really really great reputation in, in the Texas high school football scene, and there's a lot of NFL receivers that come out of Texas high school football. Period. There you go. All right. Well, that makes me feel a lot better about it. Good stuff. All right. Well, I'm not going to go to the the sack anymore. I'll just a uh, couple more here. I'll just kind of pull out off the side just to get him out of the way before we get to. The uh, well, it's if you're a big Brent Venables fan, it's not great news, but you got to hear it. We'll get to that here in a moment. Uh, a couple other things. I, I just, you know, just to make you feel positive about stuff. Jackson Arnold Grant, Gatorade National Player of the Year quarterback. And it's, you know, it's notable either way because that's a cool award to win. But he beat out Arch Manning and Malachi Nelson, one of which was previously obviously committed to Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. So, uh, I mean, everything about Jackson Arnold is looking better and better and better for Oklahoma. Uh, and it's just, it's almost like, this is a, such a cliche, and I hate saying this, but it's like, man, I kind of feel bad for the guy because all these expectations, what if he doesn't live up to them, right? Uh, it's just, it's, it's almost like unfair at this point, all the expectations for him. So, I mean, do you, are, are you kind of there too, where it's like, man, it, it's yeah. almost too good to be true at this point? Yeah, yeah, I, I just, I don't... Uh Hey, I, I like his high school tape. I think he looks really good. I like how I, he's a good athlete. I like that a lot. Um, I hope it comes to fruition. I hope he's ready to go. Yeah, well, I also like Clayton Smith's high school tape a lot, too. And holy cow, I whiffed. I know nothing about football, by the way. But I appreciate you all listening to this podcast. Uh, nothing about football whatsoever. So, yeah, I, but that'll be one of the most anticipated you know, first snaps whenever he gets out there, whenever that'll be. Uh, we all expect Dylan Gabriel, obviously, this season. By the way, Dylan Gabriel's coming back. He, he announced that between our last podcast and now. <laughs> uh, so let's see. I'll clean up a, a couple other topics here. By the way, I mean, I, I think this is what was this technically National Signing Day number two? Yeah, I think today February, is. Uh, I couldn't remember if it was the first Wednesday or second Wednesday of February. I guess it's the first Wednesday of February. And uh, I mean, so I think Oklahoma, I saw headlines officially OU as a top five recruiting class for 2023. Now that this is the final national signing day. So that's good stuff. Positive for Brent Venables and company. It's a really good, uh, it's a really good recruiting class. It's just, uh, it's light. Honestly, on the one position, you can't be light on going to the SEC. It's light on defensive linemen. 
I mean, I, I mean, Which, except the best, the best player in their class, PJ Adebore, is a defensive lineman. Man, but other than that, it's it's not looking great. I mean, they signed a guy who is like six feet, one hundred and ninety pounds at nose tackle from California. Isn't Adebore an edge player? Supposedly, that guy off the yeah. edge. He's not even a he's a defensive end guy. He's a defensive end. Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of sitting there waiting for the Todd Bates magic to kick in. Get these big hog mollies. I mean, David Hicks obviously would have been nice, but that's not going to happen. <sighs> Heck, maybe after a year, though, and, you know, it's another he, he transfers out of Texas A&M because it's Texas A&M, and you know, it's just kind of whatever. I guess, though, they did bring in, what, Bobby Petrino? So, uh, hmm, that could be interesting. But, I mean, those two personalities, Jimbo Fisher and Petrino, I don't – Anyways, that's this is an A and M podcast. Uh, the final news and note, or news or note, I have on here is uh, we got a spring game date, April the twenty second. Man, that'll be here before we know it. I mean, that's less than three months away, and you all remember, obviously, seventy five thousand plus fans were there. I mean, we were both there, Grant. Great atmosphere. <laughs> if only the the actual season went about as good as that spring game went. Uh, I. Very curious to see what kind of turnout we get in year number two after the huge turnout last season. I'm not really sure how, I mean, I can't imagine it'll be as much as last year. It's not going to be as much, but I'm sure it'll be more than, than it had been like in the past. Yeah, Because I think just, a lot of people are going to, I mean, it was fun. It was, it was fun last year. I think people are going to remember yeah. that and are going to come. And really, I mean, what else are you doing in late April on a Saturday? You know, I now that I have uh, I've been out of the news business for almost three months. I, I just I saw the spring game date come up, and you know normally I'd be there anyways for work in the past, but I saw that I was like, well, of course, like why wouldn't I go to that? I mean, it's a Saturday in the spring, like why wouldn't I want to go to that game just for fun? Like, so I I guess maybe I'm biased because like you know we're into sports, we're into football, and I guess I think back to heck. When we were in college, you know, you and I, we didn't really care that much about the spring game then. We never went to one. So I suppose it's just everyone's different because <laughs> uh, I just didn't care. So, I mean, I guess most people probably just don't care. I just answered my own question. There even was a question. I mean, yeah, things, yeah. things change. I mean, I think, you know, at that age when we we're in college or even in high school, there's, for us especially, there's always a lot of stuff going on during the spring. Um, Still much more into baseball. We were playing baseball then, and it just it was. Whereas sure. now, as I've, I've you know as as I've come into adulthood, I mean this is this is like my hobby. I mean this is it. <laughs> so it's the only thing I have time yeah. you know for to be my hobby. So it's 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 much more. It's just it's just a bigger deal on the calendar. So hopefully it's a good turnout. I I get the sense as well that there's a lot of fans. I mean I'd say I'd say the vast majority honestly of OU's fan base, and this is just my feeling are not like you and I and some of our other friends who are very skeptical of Brent Venables. I think a lot of people are still all in on Venables even after last season. They really want him to succeed. And so do we. It's just there's been so much evidence over the last year where skepticism is, I think it's necessary. But you don't have to feel that way. You don't have to. You can still have a lot of hope. And this is one of those situations where I hope that we're going to end up being wrong because it would be it's it's really important that Brent Venables is the guy because then if not you're just you're wasting time right now going into the SEC and that's no good. But unfortunately, uh, I think it's a good segue to 
our next topic, which I decided to go back and track every single first-year head coach in 2022. Obviously, Brent Venables is one of them. And I wanted just to get an idea of, okay, like Brent Venables, not a good year. Under 500, 6 and 7. I thought, okay, like how does that compare to the rest of college football who brought in a first-year head coach? And so I went through every conference, all the independents, all the max. I honestly didn't count up the number, but there's a pretty good amount. I'll do it right now on, on air. So in the Pac-12, there's four. SEC, there's two. That's six total. ACC, there was four. So that's up to 10. There was three in the Big 12, so that's 13. Independence, there was four, so that's 17. In the AAC, there was two, so that's 19. 21, because there's two in the Conference USA. 22, 25. 26, 27, 28, 20, almost 29, 29 first-year head coaches. And so what I did was I just went and looked at the preseason win totals that Vegas set for each team. And those of you that listen to this show a lot know that we talk about gambling quite a bit. We always do our you know, picks against the spread or whatever. And before the season starts, we talk, we talk about win totals. And OU's win total this season was set at 9.5. And, and essentially what that means is that you know, Oklahoma is supposed to win like you can make the bet, you know, over or under nine and a half wins, but they set there. That's the expectation that Las Vegas set. So if you're around nine, you know, you're eight, you're 10, you're right around expectation. Obviously you slightly, you know, you slightly uh, go over expectation or you fail. And Oklahoma was nine and a half and they won six games. So that's a big time under, that's, that's a minus three and a half as far as the win total. And that's what I did, Grant. I went and I, I looked at the, the win total, the number of wins, and I got, got a number. So Brent Venables is, is negative three and a half, okay? The best first-year head coach, number one. This is easy. Everybody can get this one. Want to take a guess? Um, Sonny Dykes, I would assume. Sonny Dykes, yeah. Sonny Dykes, TCU's win total was set at six and a half. And oh, <laughs> TCU went undefeated in regular season. They're at 12-0. I mean, just shattered it. Plus five and a half. Number two, Duke's Mike Elko, plus five. Duke's season win total, obviously uh, not much you know, expectation for Duke. Only three. Duke went eight and four in the regular season. Plus five. So, so cream of the crop was Sonny Dykes and Mike Elko. Nobody else got to five. After that, a uh, couple at three and a half, plus three and a half. And one at plus three. And so I'll just do the top five. The top five, Dykes, Elko, Jim Mora, number three. He was at plus three and a half. And I got it. He was at UConn. Jim Mora, uh, UConn was only supposed to win two and a half games this year, Grant. They got six. So good for Jim Mora. A guy named John Sumrall, that's Troy's coach, plus three and a half. Troy was at six and a half wins. Troy went 10 and two in the regular season. And then rounding out the top five of best first-year head coaches versus expectation, a big sigh here. Jerry Kill at New Mexico State because that program is awful. And Jerry Kill went into New Mexico State with a win total of three and doubled it, Grant. He won six games. They went six and six. Good Jerry for Kill. If you're all wondering, kind of like the big name head coaches like uh, Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly was a plus two at, at uh, LSU. How about, how about Kalen DeBoer at Washington State, plus two and a half. Of course, Lincoln Riley, plus one and a half. Their win total was, 
I believe the same as OU's nine and a half, and they went eleven and one. Heck, Clay Helton at Georgia Southern was plus one and a half. Joey McGuire also in the Big Twelve with Sonny Dykes and Brent Venables. Joey McGuire plus one and a half. And so you got all these guys plus plus plus, and then of course you get down to coaches that did not meet expectation or were right around it, like Rhett Lashley. He was what? Was he SMU? Yeah, SMU. He was even. Seven wins. They won seven games. Uh, Marcus Freeman. He was just like Notre Dame's win total was set at eight and a half. They went eight and four. So he was right around expectations, slightly under a tree, but not a terrible year for Marcus Freeman. Jeff Tedford at Fresno State. They also went eight and four. They were set at eight and a half. Uh, Anyways, Billy Napier. Yeah, at Florida, I not a great year, right? Only minus one. Florida's win total was set at seven. They went six and six. So I say all of this, and you got to go all the way down, all the way down, all the way, all the way down to the bottom of the list. And I'm going to give you the bottom five. I gave you the top five. I'll give you the bottom five. The uh, this is from a five like least bad. To most bad. That that's great English, I know. Uh, Ken Wilson, Nevada's head coach, minus three. Nevada was supposed to win five games. They went two and ten. Ken Wilson, awful year for Nevada. Next up, Mario Cristobal, the guy that you and I just love, right? <laughs> At Miami, everybody else loves Mario Cristobal. I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, Miami was eight and a half win total. They went five and seven. Missed the bowl. Next up, Vatek's new coach, Grant Brent Pry. Vatek was set at where's the ACC? Six and a half wins. Vatek went three and nine, minus three and a half. Also minus three and a half, as we talked about earlier, was Brent Venables. Brent Venables minus three and a half, and the only person worse than Brent Venables on the versus expectation meter that I've just created. <sighs> Virginia head coach, Tony Elliott, another former Dabo Sweeney assistant coach. Virginia's win total was set at seven. Tony Elliott went three and nine. So just to repeat, the names along with Brent Venables here at the bottom of this list, nobody really knows anything about Ken Wilson or Brent Pry, but Mario Cristobal and Tony Elliott Two coaches on this podcast that you and I have lambasted, lambasted, whatever. You, basically, any time, any chance we have a chance, any chance we can, we have ripped those guys mainly because Tony Elliott's Clemson offense has never been any good. He just had really good players. Uh, Mario Cristobal, kind of sim- the same. I, I, I've never really understood it. Like he didn't do anything with Justin Herbert. As soon as Justin Herbert was very obviously like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, his rookie season everyone's love affair with Mario Cristobal should have ended instantly. Mm-hmm. Instantly. So Brent Venables is on that list with Cristobal and Tony Elliott. Uh, again, failing to meet expectation. And before we started recording, you brought up even more evidence that uh, should make some Oklahoma fans mm, cringe, uneasy. About that scares the, the hell out of me. It scares the hell out. Uh, so I want to give a hat tip to Alan Kinney. Uh, I've brought him up on this podcast throughout the years that we've been doing it. Uh, he's been writing about OU football for a long time. 
um, uh, on this one, you know, for the Crimson and Cream Machine, he brought up uh, a stat that Dave Bartu created. Dave Bartu is on Twitter. Uh, he's also the purveyor of College Football Matrix, which is just kind of an advanced stat uh, system for for college football. But it's uh, he has this stat called Coach Effect, um, and essentially, it's 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 basically you know it takes all of the talent that's on your roster and some like some other things and it compares it to the talent on the other roster, and it says you should you should win this game you shouldn't you shouldn't win this game and you can have a positive or a negative coach effect and so he has this thing called the dead man walking metric where essentially if a coach in his very first year as being a head coach if he posts a minus 4 or worse coach effect which essentially means based on your talent profile of your team you should have beaten this team and you'll lose so there's minus 1 um Nobody has ever has really ever made it to the end of their first contract if they post a minus four coach effect or worse in their first year. And last year, Brent Venables' coach effect Lee was minus five, which means there were five games where they had a decisive talent advantage that they lost. Um, this puts him in the same company as Willie this Taggart. Is, this is yeah, sorry, like this is the part that I mean, you hear that number and you're like, oh, that didn't sound good, but then you when you're going to list the coaches that have also been in that same range, oh, boy. Go ahead. Sorry. Willie Taggart, Chad Morris, Scott Frost. Um, ah, geez, I'm, I'm, I already closed the thing out. Now I'm blanking on all of them. Do you remember any of the, the names? They're all terrible. Think of terrible uh, head coach that didn't last long, <laughs> and he's on there. Well, Venables is on there. Yeah, I, I, maybe one or two more. Um. Uh, but those are, I mean, honestly, like Willie, Ta- uh, Willie Taggart's another guy that we have, I mean, we were on him immediately. I mean, I, I think maybe our, our best go to the bank, sell the farm on this pick would have been what his, his first game as FSU's head coach when we were all over, uh, who they're playing that night, Vatech, maybe Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech, was like, playing. it's like 28 to nothing or something like that. And it was just like, yeah, we're gonna, I think Virginia Tech was the underdog. Like, they were c- catching points. And it was just a disaster first game. And uh, Manny, it, Manny, Diaz, uh, Manny Diaz at Miami who? is one of them. <laughs> D- uh, the other one is actually, I guess, yeah, if you want to, it was is Sonny Dykes when he was at Cal. Well, it's I'm sorry, Sonny Cal. Dykes is, is not a particularly good head coach. I Obviously, hats off. They just played the national championship game. That they just so much went right for them this season. That's I, Sonny Dykes at TCU. They're they're going to be a perpetual six and six, seven and five team as long as he is there. So yeah, we'll see about that. But I mean, I mean, only one, only one first year head coach technically had a worse season than Brent Venables. Know you, and that was Tony Elliott. And then you bring up the dead man walking stat, and that just adds even more just. Oh no! This could be, this could be bad. And the only thing that Venables and the staff has got going for them, and, and you pointed it out, and I'm sure a lot of other people have pointed out, is that the recruiting has been fantastic. On yeah, paper, that is one thing. None of those, none of those coaches terrific. that I mentioned could say that they were recruiting at the level that that OU is right now, which does take some level of competence and organization. So I think we do have to give credit where it's due. There, this is a great class. This is. By the 247 metric, this is OU's best class since, like, the Rhett Bomar, Adrian Peterson class in the early 2000s. So, 
this is all, I mean, this is all to qualify it and everything, but I mean, there's, if they turn this thing around, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot going against them right now in, in that regard. And so I guess I'm trying to think of like the only other like coaches that have kind of crashed and burned that have recruited even close to that level is essentially everyone who's been at Texas the last decade. <laughs> yeah. And like, I mean, I'm dead serious. I can't think of anybody else. Cause I don't like, I'm trying like, I, I first like kind of like jump to, um, I guess maybe like, um, uh, gosh, he's, I, I've already, uh, geez, I was about to say, I've already forgot his name. Uh, Orgeron at LSU, maybe. I mean, he won a national title with a, you know, with a, with the best offensive roster in the history of the sport. Um, I don't yeah, know, man. So good. But also, right. I don't think I don't yeah. think Tom Herman actually ever recruited at the level that Brent Venables just did this year. Uh, Charlie Strong may have. We'll see, man. I mean, they got they they got their work cut out for them, and they got they just they got way too many question marks going into next season. They really do for for us to feel too like too extremely confident that they're going to really really turn this thing around. Are they going to go six and seven again? Probably not. But. I think we would all feel just as disappointed if they went eight and four. Well, to to kind of go out on the football stuff on a, a positive note, I did. And you, I mean, you consume this stuff a lot more than I do, so you may have seen this as well. But I saw Joe Clatt uh, is going around Twitter, and I got to give credit to some of the OU sites uh, highlighting Joe Clatt being very positive about OU going into this next season, and it's it's for very obvious reasons. Stuff that I mean, we probably mentioned before. I mean it. His main idea is that, well, OU went, you know, six and six, six and seven with the bowl game, but they played, I think he said, was it five one score games? And, you know, we talked about that, I think maybe even after the bowl game, you know, like, or even before the bowl game, it's like, hey, like, I know, like, this is how losers talk. Like, hey, if it goes a different way, this could go, you know, different outcome, blah, blah, blah. But that's kind of, it's worth bringing up. It's like, hey, if you figure out a way to win close games, you could win a lot more. And so Joe Klatt thought, I was like, well, they lost a bunch of one score games in 2023. He thinks they will correct that and they'll flip it around and they have a chance. You know, they just they correct that and then boom, they're a 9, 10, 11 win team. Okay. I, that sounds great. There's going to need to be some adjustments and improvement and some changes in game. Or they're just going to have to be a lot better than everybody else and just blow people out of the water. And oh, he's not going to have to worry about it being a one score game. I like yeah, that it's gonna it's strategy. it's gonna come down. The Walter Rouse pickup in the transfer portal was really big. Um, I know you don't like pro football focus, but he is he's one of the best run blockers in college football last year. Uh, not not as great as a pass blocker, uh, but we'll we'll, we'll kind of see how that works out. Um, and I think you know we all probably feel pretty decent about what we saw from the people you know who played in the in the Cheez It Bowl, Savion Bird especially. Um, we know yeah. Andrew Rame is going to be back and, you know, I, I know Rame hasn't been outstanding since he's been here, but I thought he was actually pretty good for the most part this past season. Um, we all think, I think Tyler Guyton is pretty promising and, and also, uh, Sexton, we know uh, we're all very prominent, but he's probably not going to be there uh, at the beginning of the season. And then Jake Taylor, we hope can maybe take a step as well. And who knows what's going to happen here with this Caleb Schaefer guy as well. So, um, all I know is that, I think their one-two punch at running back from what we saw in the Cheez It Bowl could be pretty good. Um, I'm I'm certain that Gavin Sachuk right now is the best player on the offense from what I saw 
and he needs to be the number one guy going into next year. I think them just having uh, them having a lot of explode like a lot of explosion at the running back position will help a lot because um, there are a lot of you know there are a lot of runs that I think you know Kennedy Brooks or you know even you know guys like Rodney Anderson in the past probably would have taken to the house that Eric Gray had and Eric Gray was awesome last year. Uh, he just didn't really have that second gear uh, to get uh, to get into the second level of the defense and pull away from people. I think Gavin Sachuk does have that gear. And uh, so I think just Track having star. more explosion out of the run game is going to help as well. Um, and then, I, I, I mean, I guess you just hope that Dylan Gabriel going into, I mean, what, his, his fourth full season of starting at the college game, you hope that, I mean, he's... And with you know Gabriel, right? He was never te- he was never really terrible. He was ne- he's just he's just limited. There's just he he can really only throw to a couple sides of the field. He can't to two sides of the field. Can't really throw over the middle. Struggles to go through his progressions. Struggles to see over the offensive line. So I mean he's he's going to continue to struggle in third and medium. I, I don't I don't really unless he just works really hard at it. I just I don't I don't see where where he's going to improve. I, I think he's got too many physical limitations. He is what he is, you know. It's just he's a nice player, but it's it's interesting that they're going to have a guy behind him that we well I was going to say we know is good. We don't know that yet. He's never taken a college snap, but he doesn't have a Davis Bevel behind them. Oh, by the way, Micah Bowen's transferred. Graham, sorry about that. Yeah, that's that's where I have no idea because I am certain that Micah Bowens is better than Davis Bevel. Well, I watched Micah Heisman next year. I watched Micah Bowens play in the spring game, and I realized that he's never even stepped on the field to to take a snap in a real game for OU in the the three. I guess it's only two seasons he was here, but I I I saw him complete like a seventy yard touchdown pass to Jaden Gibson in a spring game, and I'm not even sure Davis Bevel is capable of completing a pass. Oh, man. Well, sure is going to be an interesting spring. Um, so I, as far as the podcast schedule, I, you know, we kind of felt like, all right, the schedule came out, the Big 12 schedule, OU. It's been a month. You know, let's, let's talk about it at the mic. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to commit to one next week because I think we just kind of covered everything. I don't know what's going to be going on this week. I, spring practice will probably get going and six weeks five six weeks roughly so yeah i don't know this hey, will we'll be the first s- time we'll see on. man we'll see if the basketball team can can turn it can you know can use that alabama game as a springboard to turn around maybe we can do some some ou basketball talk but i don't know because this is one of the most boring ou teams i've ever seen in my life so yeah let's say um that's yeah we're recording it ou and OSU just tipped off, and I just put it on, and it looks like maybe the crowd's doing pretty good. I, it, it should be. The game is free tonight at Lloyd Noble Center, and that was you know, it was fun watching them play Saturday. Obviously, that was the best game they played. I mean, in in years, like that was the best an OU basketball team. I can't remember the last time they played that well. You know, especially given the competition. So that was fun. Uh, it'd be nice if they can go ahead and play really well tonight. Beat Oklahoma State. Yeah, my analysis of that game is that. And I, and I watched. I, I I didn't see like the first five ten minutes of the game, but I I watched the rest of it from there. By my eyes, they were just making a lot of their open jump shots. Man, they just they shot like everybody played their best game ever. It seemed like, which you know, 
be nice if they could pull that off in March when they're playing the tournament. Those are always fun. But then, you know, inevitably you got to win a bunch more games and then everybody has a cold streak and then you lose. So, but if you're going to have that in the, in the middle of this season when things were looking really bleak against the number two team in the nation, that's a good time to have it. We'll see if they can you know, keep it up tonight. Yeah, I've always uh, just like, I don't, when I watch their player, like I, listen, I, I don't think they're a particularly like athletic team. But I, I do think the Tanner Groves hate is, is a little over the top. The guy was a guy was a conference player of the year, like in the Big West or whatever it was. Like he's not a yeah, I mean if, if you win conference player of the year anywhere, yes, you can play in the in the power five. Like this isn't so I, I think that's a little kind of over the top, but yeah, I mean they, they need they need much more athletic and long guys on their team. Um, mm-hmm. and I, like, I, I know like Porter Moser at times have kind of railed against sort of the new, the new reality of college basketball with the transfer portal and stuff like that. That's not a good sign. You don't want him complaining about that. You want him to be like, okay, let's, let's go to work and let's get good players. You got the, you got yeah. Jerome Tang at Kansas state. Kansas state didn't win a game in the big 12 last year. They returned one scholarship player and they're one of the best teams in the country this year because of the transfer portal. Use it to your advantage, dude. Yeah, that's impressive. And like, impressive. I, you can't. There's no way that Kansas State's paying big bucks for all their transfers. No, no. Um, all right, so yeah, basically, I was trying to get at is that uh, you know, can't commit to a podcast next week. So I know we've been kind of dark on the West of Everest Facebook page, but uh, that's the best place to find updates moving forward. So hopefully, you all enjoyed this show. Those of you that. Stayed with us till the end, and uh, thank you, as always, for supporting West of Everest, and we really appreciate you guys, even though it's been kind of a weird season, weird off-season, haven't been around as much, but we do appreciate your support. Grant, any final thoughts before we close up shop today? Nib high football rules. Nib high football definitely rules. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.